This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, April 8th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include a new malware alert where scammers talk their victims into infecting themselves, how to avoid Google's new Flock, their alternative to browser cookie tracking, an update on Facebook's 500 million plus user data breach. And we've got some tips on how to check if a new-to-you used iPhone is stolen goods. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing fine. Did you update GarageBand this morning? GarageBand? What are you talking about? You don't use GarageBand. Mm. There's a security update for GarageBand today. <laughs> are you serious? There's a security update for GarageBand? A security update for GarageBand. Well, is it actually surprising? Because it's an app that can access the internet, right? You uh-huh. can download loops and other things from Apple. And you may not remember this, but there's a thing called Learn to Play in GarageBand. And there's lessons in a store that you can buy to learn how to play guitar or piano. No, I actually do remember that. That's, I think, the last major feature that Apple added to GarageBand that I still remember they got some big artists to do some pre-recorded lessons, and then that was it. Like, I never heard about it again after that. Yeah. So what's interesting is this is one of those features. Every now and then, Apple comes out with a feature, and you just don't hear anything more about it. And and it seems to go – I couldn't find a press release for this. It seems to go back as far as 2014, if not earlier. Originally, these were supposed to be sold at 5 bucks a lesson, and then they became free at some point. And, I mean, why don't they just get rid of it? Because th- – there's a total of 20 guitar lessons, eight in basic guitar, five in rock guitar, and seven in blues guitar. I mean, how many people have gone through all 20 lessons and are just waiting for more? Well, and then the other thing about this is that how many people are even thinking, let's open GarageBand and let's see if I can learn how to play a new instrument. You don't do that. You go to YouTube. Well, no, you you not being a musician don't know that there are all sorts of services, subscription services for learning guitar, piano, etc., where you get dedicated lessons that talk about techniques or specific songs. It is quite a big business, and that's probably why Apple wanted to get into it. But what I'm guessing is the guy in charge got fired or left to go work with Tesla, and no one else was interested <laughs> in it, and it just kind of faded away. This is going down a little bit of a rat hole, but I, I don't remember if we mentioned that iTunes U is eventually going to be shutting down in the not-too-distant future, if I remember right. And this was another one of those things where Apple introduced it, they kind of made a big deal about it at the launch time, and then it just sort of immediately went stagnant and nobody did anything with it. And so they're finally getting rid of that. I beg to differ. Since I am used to be called the iTunes guy, I followed that, and there was a lot of content published to iTunes U. Because it wasn't hard to find. It was in the iTunes store. Eventually, though, I think universities that were doing this kind of content went in other directions, probably mostly YouTube for videos, which meant that Apple didn't need to have this thing. There was an ability to create custom curriculum content, and and I think even maybe password protected. But why bother? Why go through all those hoops for something that can be distributed otherwise? So it got shifted to podcasts some of the content. And I don't know if they're deleting all the content when iTunes U officially shuts down or if they're just going to leave it floating around in podcasts. Anyway, the reason I talked about GarageBand is 
Sometimes it may be surprising to see a security update for an app like that, but every single app that can use the internet can potentially be a vector for malware, right? Yeah, absolutely. Any app could potentially be targeted by you know some bit of malware or other, but when you're talking about internet connected things, it's certainly possible. You know, we've we've seen things like WhatsApp in the past, the WhatsApp app on iOS, somebody found a vulnerability and was able to exploit it and was able to, you know, call people's phones who had the WhatsApp app installed. And so, yes, there are absolutely things like that that can be potentially problematic with any app that connects to the internet, but more especially in that case, because that's something where you can actually get into the device unsolicited which, you know, GarageBand doesn't have any functionality like that, at least. Yeah. What's interesting is on Apple's security update page, they list GarageBand 10.4.3 available for Big Sur only, and they say details available soon. And when they do that, that means that this is a security update that's going to be issued for other software or potentially another platform. Maybe there's going to be an iOS update, and they don't want to talk about the vulnerability until they've all been released. Anytime that I've ever seen Apple do something like this on the security page, the details available soon, it has always meant that. And so what I kind of wonder what this means is that maybe there's the same vulnerability exists in GarageBand for iOS and they haven't updated that yet. I don't know. I, I haven't. Uh, I don't have GarageBand installed on my phone, so I haven't checked to see whether they, they've got an update. But I presume that that would also be listed on the same uh, security updates page. Yeah, the last update for GarageBand on the iPhone was four months ago. So maybe there's going to be an iOS update. Maybe there's going to be a Catalina version updated. It's kind of surprising to have the update just for one operating, one version of macOS. But of course, it could be a vulnerability that's only in a specific framework in Big Sur. Or it's possible that, uh, as happens from time to time, that Apple really only cares about fixing the vulnerability in the latest version and uh, doesn't really care about you if you're using older software. Ouch. <laughs> well, it happens. I mean, you know, it's funny because, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, Apple, for as long as I can remember, practically, um, Apple with Mac OS X has been doing this thing where they release updates for the current operating system and two previous. And then with the release of iOS 13, they started releasing patches for the previous, just one previous version of iOS. So iOS 12 is still getting updates because iOS 13 is compatible with all the same things 14 is compatible with. So if you had 13, you can upgrade to 14. If you have a device that's older than that, you can still use iOS 12 on that device. Almost nothing really gets patched other than those couple of like really major vulnerabilities that are like widely known that Apple sort of feels compelled to still release patches for. But for the most part, you're not really seeing a lot of things getting patched for those previous operating systems, especially in the case of iOS. macOS, you do tend to see a little bit more getting patched, but even then, Apple does not backport all those patches to the previous operating systems. Well, the last iOS 12 update was on March 26, and this was for the WebKit vulnerability that Apple said has been actively exploited in the wild. So they do care enough to protect these older devices for something that dangerous. Exactly. For things that are actively exploited, those are typically the things that you will see them still releasing 
uh, updates for for previous OSs. Speaking about things being actively exploited, there was this huge Facebook breach. Over 500 million records were leaked, including phone numbers for most of them. This happened, what, a year and a half ago, and we only found out about it a few days ago. And this is kind of, I don't know, Facebook is kind of pretending like it's not a big deal because it happened a year and a half ago. Yet, we were talking before the show, and I pointed out that I'm seeing a lot of people talking about getting scam phone calls lately. And I wonder if it's related because this information was published just recently, right, on on a website. So it's accessible to pretty much anyone. And maybe this is why there are more scam phone calls being issued. So I looked up a link to haveibeenpwned.com, which keeps a database of all these data breaches. And you can search by your email address and your phone number, and I found that my phone number was included. I looked on Facebook. I don't see my phone number anywhere, but I have a feeling I gave it to them at some point for two-factor authentication. And then I may have removed it because wasn't there a time that Facebook was spamming people with text messages? Well, they have gotten in trouble for using phone numbers for things other than the intended purpose. If you had only given Facebook the authorization to use your phone number in the context of um, two-factor authentication, Facebook for a period of time was also using it for other things as well, and they kind of got in trouble for that. So yeah, Facebook doesn't have the best track record with ha- handling phone numbers in particular. We'll link to a Twitter thread talking about this, and one of the things that's interesting is the number of phone numbers in some of the countries. There's an alphabetical list of countries and some of them we looked up, they're almost as much as the population of the countries, and that doesn't make sense. I have a feeling that there's something wrong. For example, Qatar has a population of about 2.8 million people, and there are about 2.5 million phone numbers from Qatar in, in this breach. Now, they're getting the country codes from in front of the phone numbers. You people in the U.S., you probably don't make many calls to other countries, so you didn't even think about country calls. And of course, the U.S. is the number one country in the country code. But other people just normally, we put the country code with our number when we enter it on a website because it's just the way it works, right? Here in Europe, when you have so many countries around. But these numbers are a little bit suspicious. Saudi Arabia, 28 million. I think that's most of the population of Saudi Arabia. 500 million records is a lot. And there are certainly some people who have two phones, but what can we do? We can't really do anything about this, right? It's it's the it's the trains left the station, and if if they've got our phone number, it's too late. There's not really much that you could do. I mean, you're, if your phone number is already out there, then it's already out there, and there's no way to get that back. So you could change your phone number. I mean, I don't think that's a great solution. Well, especially because the phone number is so important these days. Yeah, your, your phone number. You've given it out to so many places and so many people that. That, that's the main way of communicating now. And, and it's almost as if the phone number should be sacred. You should get a phone yeah. number when on the day you're born. It should be given to you, like tattooed under your arm or something, so you never lose it, never forget it. But it's true that the phone number has an importance that it didn't have 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I mean, that's absolutely true. And of course, we're joking a little bit about the tattoos and all that. But it really is true that when you're talking about things like two-factor authentication, if you lose that phone number you may lose access to an awful lot of things that require two-factor authentication unless you've got some other way to work around it, in which case maybe that two-factor authentication is not so great after all. So here's a question. If I change my phone number 
And I don't think of doing this before the phone number changes. How can I get into a website where I'm using two-factor authentication that goes to the old phone number to go in and change it to the new phone number? Uh, it would really depend on the site. So some sites and services may have alternative ways to um, identify yourself. Uh, like, for example, sometimes they'll give you um, account recovery questions and things like that. So as long as you know your account recovery questions, there may be other ways to get in. Um, some companies would have an alternative way to contact them. Uh, you are probably going to have a harder time contacting companies like Google, especially, you know, they're notorious for not taking any sort of uh, help desk calls from the general public. You have to be a business if you want to talk to Google. Well, if you're a paying customer, when I was a paying customer at five bucks a month for Google, I got telephone support for a complicated issue and a guy spent an hour on the phone with me. I was very impressed by the quality of the support. Exactly. A paying customer. So that's what I mean. Like a general consumer, like who's not paying Google for anything, you're not going to get tech support from Google. What's the saying? If the product is free, then you're the product? That's definitely the case with Google. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's take a break and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk more about Google and then we're going to tell you how to check if that used iPhone you want to buy has been stolen. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, before the break, I said we're going to talk about Google, and Google is testing its, I like this, controversial new ad targeting tech in millions of browsers. This is on the EFF website, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and Google has launched an origin trial, in quotes, of something they call, ready for this, the Federated Learning of Cohorts. It's experimental new technology for targeting ads. It sounds like a 1970s science fiction movie. It sounds... Sinister, the federated learning of cohorts. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's basically all, what it is, is Google's alternative way of tracking you rather than just kind of the standard traditional cookies. The, the idea is that ultimately this is supposed to replace cookies um, and during their, their trial period that they've got going on now, it's supplementing cookies. Right. A couple of months ago, when we talked about Google announcing they were going to stop using cookies and sharing cookies with third parties, et cetera, we were speculating on how are they going to do? They're not giving up their ad business. They've got to figure out some other way to track people. So basically, Google is finding other ways to do that. And Flock, as it's called for short, Federated Learning of Cohorts, 
is supposed to give Google another way to do this. And they're doing this specifically in Google Chrome. So this requires you to use the Google Chrome browser in order for them to track you using Flock technology. And so don't use Google Chrome. That's that's a pretty easy answer to this sort of thing. <laughs> I'll just remind listeners that we mentioned last week that Josh had gone from, why would anyone use Edge to, I now use Edge all the time. Edge works with the Chromium rendering engine in the background, doesn't use as much memory, doesn't make the fan go on his Mac. And... I hate to say it, but Microsoft isn't evil right now. Remember when <laughs> Microsoft used to be the big bad guy? Yeah, Microsoft really ha has gotten a lot better when it comes to things like security over the years. It used to be that Microsoft operating systems, Windows on the desktop was a laughing stock because back in the Windows 95, 98, ME, and early XP days, Malware was just rampant on the Windows platform, and there was adware all over the place. You couldn't go anywhere online without getting your Windows PC completely infected. And Microsoft has come a long way since then. They've done a lot of things right when it comes to security. They set a lot of security policies and procedures within the company. They started bug bounty programs way before Apple ever considered the possibility of doing such a thing. They actually have a monthly schedule where they're going to release patches, which, I mean, Apple doesn't commit to that. They're not, they don't say, hey, we're going to release patches at least once a month on this date. There's a lot of things that Microsoft is actually doing right these days, so um, I've got to give them props for Josh that. Josh is looking for a new job, I think. <laughs> Do you want to go work for Microsoft? No, I don't. No, I have no interest in okay. working for Microsoft. Just to close the discussion of this um, Google thing, the millions of users, about 5% of Chrome users worldwide in specific countries, will be chosen at random. They will be enrolled into the trial automatically. There is no opt-out yet. And websites aren't being asked to opt in either because this is Google, this is ads that Google's serving to websites. So the websites aren't even aware of what's going on. It's like there are three uh, entities involved. There's Google, there's the websites, and there's the user. And Google is just pushing this on everyone. If you want to know more about this Flock technology, we'll have a link in the show notes. They also link to a previous article from, uh, that the EFF has written called Google Flock is a Terrible Idea. So you can read all about Flock and what it could potentially mean if you are a Google Chrome user. Okay, so we've got malware using underground call centers to trick users into infecting themselves. And this is something called Bizarre Call or Bazacall. The name comes from the fact that they rely on a phone call to finish the infection process. So people are basically getting emails and they're being told to call certain phone numbers. And I guess a lot of people are dumb enough to call the phone numbers. I don't, dumb enough isn't right, but they get fooled into thinking it's real. Maybe it's an email talking about an order they placed, you know, something like that. Just as an aside, which is the company that did the April Fool's joke last week, sending people emails that they had ordered like $600 of pizza. Oh, shoot. Um, I don't know. I missed that April Fool's joke. I thought I thought you were going to talk about Volkswagen changing its name to Volkswagen. Yeah, that. <laughs> no, nah, that's just dumb. But the other one, you know, we get we all get emails saying you've ordered this right and click on this link to, to follow up the order and fake Amazon emails. But this sort of thing is just bad that any company would have thought of doing this. Anyway, I'll find the link and I'll put it in the show. It might have been Uber Eats or something. 
Anyway, tell us about Bizarre Call. Basically, the idea here, as you mentioned, is they send you an email. It includes a phone number. They tell you that uh, your free period, your free trial period, in other words, is almost over. How was it? We hope you choose to stay with us. Your membership will be continued using the payment method that you have previously given us. You're going to be charged $69.99 a month to stay with the service. And so you go, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what this was, but I certainly don't want to be charged $69.99 a month. And so you call them up and uh, that's when this scam process begins. The way that they're going about this is a little bit weird. So they're starting out with spam rather than including an attachment, which they know is likely to get blocked, especially if you're using a popular email provider like Gmail. Gmail has a pretty good reputation with filtering spam and and sending a lot of those things to the spam folder. And so they know that they're more likely to get caught if they are including attachments. So they're doing this other method where they're just sending you this message with a phone number and encouraging you to call. When you do call, the thing that they'll walk you through is downloading, believe it or not, a a Microsoft Office document that has macros in it. So this is a, a macro virus malware that they're getting you to download and then install by hitting the enable content button in in the Microsoft Office app, whether it's uh, Word or Excel. And once you do that, then of course your computer is now infected and there's other things that they can do to your machine. So it's sort of a weird odd way of going about getting malware installed onto people's machines. It actually requires people to be staffed at a call center. Um, I'm not really sure the reason for this approach, but uh, I don't know. I guess if you're desperate enough and maybe if you can make enough money by infecting people's machines, then it could be worth it to somebody. My guess is that these are the call center employees who have no work anymore because everyone's on to the scam of Microsoft calling to say that there's malware in your computer. So they've just moved to a new scam. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is this is the next iteration and the same type of call center scam. Exactly. Okay, so I looked it up. It was Deliveroo in France. They sent people emails saying that they had ordered 38 pizzas for 456 euros. Ha ha, this is a joke. I mean... That's just, I I don't use Deliveroo because we don't really have it here, but I wouldn't want to use a company that treats customers like that. No, that's not funny. Okay, so what if you're buying a used iPhone and, I don't know, you're buying it on Craigslist or um, eBay or around behind the bar or whatever. You need to make sure that activation lock is not on. And so the activation lock is this thing that it, it's related to the Find My app, it's linked to your Apple ID, and if activation lock is on, you simply cannot use the device. You can't set it up, you can't sign in or anything. And you can generally trust eBay. If if you buy something, there's something wrong, eBay generally gives you a refund. Josh is making a face there, but I've never had any problems with things like that. But one important thing to do is check if activation lock is on. Now, Apple used to have a web page where you could enter 
either the phone's serial number or the IMEI, International Mobile Equipment Identity Number, of a device to see if the activation lock was on. And they removed that a couple of years ago. So what you you have to do now is you have to go to some third-party websites, and there are a lot of them, because this seems to be a database accessible to everyone, to not just to the manufacturers, but to the carriers. So these databases must be accessible. The real problem is finding these numbers. So I'm looking at my iPhone 11, and if I were to buy this used, and it was on that hello screen, so I can't get to settings, which is where you can find this information, there's no serial number on the back, but there is an IMEI somewhere hidden in the device. One way that you can find it out is if you've recently factory reset the device, then at that hello screen, there's a little eye with a circle around it that you can tap on, and, uh, and you can find it there. Another way that uh, you mentioned in your article on the Mac Security blog is that there's on in the SIM tray. If you pop out the SIM tray, which is you, you know you need a, a little tool to to get the SIM tray to come out, but if you open up that SIM tray, the IMEI number is also printed in very fine print on the SIM tray as well. You need a magnifying glass. Yeah, you need a magnifying glass to see it, probably. Now. These numbers used to be engraved on the back of the iPhone, near the bottom where you have the little made in California, whatever it is. My iPhone's red, so the only thing I have is product red. I can't see anything else. But on on iPads and iPod touches, it's so tiny you need a good magnifying glass. So that's another way to find it. Now, if you have the original box, you can also get that information. So in my article, I have a screenshot of a box for a new iPhone SE. It has four numbers, the EID, the IMEI2. These are for phones that have an eSIM, so it's a virtual SIM card. Then it has a serial number, then the IMIE or MEID, which is the main IMEI number. Now, interestingly, you could buy a used iPhone on eBay with a different box. And the reason I point this out is I've been in the iPhone upgrade program for a couple of years. And when I gave back my first phone, Apple just wanted the phone. They didn't want the box, the charger, the earbuds, or the cable. So I kept the box. And out of curiosity, I went on to eBay to see, do people buy iPhone boxes? And they do. And I sold it for six pounds plus shipping. And I guess they do this because they have more of a chance of selling a used iPhone in a box than if it's just on its own. But you may get a box with different numbers, different IMEI and different serial numbers. Just as an aside, people sell empty whiskey bottles on eBay. Are you serious? What? Why? I'm thinking that they put cheap whiskey in expensive bottles and sell them as counterfeit whiskey. Oh, okay. I did not know that. There, there's, a, there's a thriving market on eBay for containers of things like that. If you have an old iMac box, that probably, you get probably 50 bucks for it. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I have noticed that. For, for electronic boxes, yeah, that I, I've definitely seen. I've even seen people selling like the DVD case or, or the video game case <laughs> it, where it'll just says box only in the listing. And, you know, you, you always kind of have to be a little bit suspicious and read it carefully. If you see something like that, because it might look like you're, and I think that's what they're going for in some cases is just trying to trick people into thinking they're actually getting the, the movie or the game or whatever it is. So you got to read those listings carefully. If it looks like the price is too low to 
that's probably why. Okay, so if you're selling your own device, you should disable the activation lock. And there's a couple ways to do this. The easiest is just to go to settings, general, reset, tap, erase all content and settings. And that erases everything. It's gonna ask for your Apple ID so it can turn off Find My. And that's what puts the phone or the iPad back in that welcome screen with the hello in 50 different languages. But let's say you've given a device to someone and you've forgotten to do that. Maybe you just erased all the content, but not the settings. There's things you can do. If you go to appleid.apple.com, you'll see all the devices signed into your Apple ID. And if you click on a device, you can click on remove from account, and that does the same thing. It essentially erases it and removes the activation lock on it. And that's also good of, let's say you've sent someone your old iPhone, and it's not, you can't access it and they have they call you up and say, hey, dude, it's not unlocked, and then you can just do it that way. You know, it's kind of funny. I just recently purchased a couple of iPhones on eBay and went through a lot of these processes that we're talking about. Somebody accidentally still had it iCloud locked in one case, and uh, both of the phones, actually all three, I actually had three phones that I bought, um, all three of them were supposedly unlocked and were actually carrier locked. And so that was kind of a big pain. So definitely beware, especially if you're, if you're planning on activating it, it's better to try to buy a phone that has previously been used on the same carrier. If you can try to do that, because sometimes people think that the phone is unlocked and it's not, or they just list it as unlocked because they notice that everyone else seems to be listing it that way and they don't really know what they're doing. Well, so that depends on where you live. I think here in the UK, they're not allowed to, to keep them carrier locked after 12 months or something. And you just go to the phone company website and put in the IMEI and they unlock it automatically. I remember years ago, you used to have to pay and you can probably still go to phone stores and pay to get them unlocked. But the rules are different in different countries. I've never bought a phone with a carrier myself. I've always bought them directly from Apple for that very reason, because I don't want to be locked into a carrier. But I know in the early days of the iPhone in the US, it was only sold with carrier lock. Yes, that's right. Do you remember what network the original iPhone was sold on? AT&T. Oh, was it? Oh, was it T-Mobile? No, no, no. You, you were on the right track with AT&T. But at the time, it was singular. Who's singular? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, remember, I haven't lived in the States for decades, but I don't, I don't think I've heard of Singular. Yeah, Sing Singular was the carrier that the iPhone, the original iPhone launched on. And then I don't remember exactly what happened if they got acquired or they changed their uh, name or okay. something like that. But, but within, a, I think, a year or two, they were AT&T. There are so many mergers and acquisitions in this market that it's hard to remember who's who. Yeah. Okay, well, that's enough for this week, Josh. Until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.